This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. It's a powerful thing when you have lots to talk about and you believe totally you have plenty to say. Now, that doesn't mean because you're the one interpreting it, hearing it, you may not agree, but let the proof be in the pudding. Welcome to another edition of Kelly and Rumya. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Rumya, right there on main campus at the studio in Toronto. Hello. Good day to you. Good All day. All set to go? All set mm-hmm. to go, yeah. I mean, wonderful because it's the shorter week, Rum, and I have to say, oh, this is the midweek edition of the program, which should make you jump for joy. Well, I was ready for the show at 10 a.m. when um, I was on Now with Dave Brown, and Dave was like, and good afternoon, Rumi. I was like, oh, might as well get right into Kelly and Rumi then. That's right. Right off the top. As soon as you get that kind of, yeah, as soon as the hand pushes you in that direction, go with it. All right. (laughs) Ready? Steady? Set? Let's see what's coming up on the program today. Greg David joins us to talk about the lack of a pilot season on TV this year and what U.S. networks are doing instead. Hmm. Also, J.J. Hunt, he joins us, our audio describer, for traveling with J.J., and he's taking us to New York City, because why not? There's so much for it to offer to us, street life and public uh, living. There's a lot going on. Oh boy, time to take a bite out of the big apple. On our independent living skills segment with Leanne Barda, we continue our discussion on hosting parties. We're going to get into themes, supplies, etiquette, and more. We'll do that later on in hour two of the program. So, uh, business at hand uh, right off the top, ladies and gentlemen, some important stuff we ask for your attention with this. What is it, Rum? A birthday shout-out? Is that what we've got in this package here? A birthday birthday (laughs) shout-out? Wow. Happy Happy birthday. birthday. To Megan McGraw. Megan. Are you going to be singing for her? No, I was leaving that to you. Oh, oh sorry. That you you oh, don't sing don't on this do show. That. You sing on the morning yeah. show. That's right. I know. Yeah, you only sing over but there. I keep forgetting. We often talk about how I don't sing on the show. Anyway, it's not about me. It's about Megan. And she, uh, no, correct. right before the show, was like, don't say anything. She's telling me right now. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that memo. <laughs> yeah, me wow. neither. I oh, never I'm get those sorry. memos. See, that's what happens. People forget <laughs> me. I don't get any of that stuff. I leave it to you, yeah. producer people. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, Anyways. Have a good birthday, Meg. Huge shout out. Uh, Folks, a note from Walter Dickinson, program lead, uh, uh, creative arts, children and youth over at CNIB Foundation. Uh, This is for the Ontario South uh, Division. The event that Walter wants to tell us about, and this is a really cool one, it's called Can You See Me by Caitlin Yu, an audio-described student play on living with vision loss. This is the 28th of February, time at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, of course. Uh, Where? East York Collegiate Institute Auditorium, 650 Cosburn uh, Ave in Toronto. That's Cosburn Ave East in in Toronto. Uh, Oh, sorry. Cosburn 
in East York. My apologies. I was going to say, I don't recall her being East-West on those. Uh, contact information, uh, if you're looking for, if you have questions, even Nolan is who you'd reach out to. The details on this, admission is $10 at the door. It's an excellent price when you come to fact that there's three plays being presented, which includes Can You See Me? Guides will be on hand to assist attendees wanting to come for this accessible performance. Synopsis, this audio described play features a young woman navigating her way through high school and living with blindness. But her, the real struggle seems to be her invisibility to her peers and being misunderstood by her teachers, family, and friends. It's a bold work about loss, adaption, and growth. The performance is packed with amazingly uh, interesting dramatic risks and important information on how blindness is experienced in Canada, socially, medically, historically, and functionally. Um, in preparation for uh, getting this work together, the playwright, Caitlin Yu, and her team spent this past year interviewing select young Canadians experiencing low vision or blindness, and CNIB staff members, including Dr. Mahadi Osukai and Victoria Nolan. Can You See Me is a, a wonderful work of art. Please do try to catch it if you're in the Toronto area. Rum, your first time I've ever noted a high school production being presented with Describe. It's pretty awesome, right? Because we, um, you know, have been hearing a lot about these kind of shows with disability focus, disability stories, people from the community uh, in all, like, facets of putting productions like this together and of course the accessibility around it so to think high school production Kells is uh, very exciting because I think that it, like education quite literally in the educational system is where we're headed with this kind of thing oh I, I just wonder think it's wonderful obviously the subject matter obviously being a part of this particular bunch of other plays and, and being so out there. The work that went into it, too, is just tremendous, and we love to hear this. So do check it out. That is uh, for the described edition, live described of this production, uh, will be at uh, East York Collegiate Institute in the auditorium there. And, you know, what's really kind of cool with this play as well is this is uh, their addition, this play, to the actual uh, into the National Theatre School Drama Fest. So uh, it's nice that they've chosen out of the plays they're doing to put this one out there, and I think that that's wonderful at this time. All mm -hmm. right, throw that at you folks, and really nice fedoras off to all of them, and very appreciative to, to having an accessible performance for those of us in the low vision and blind community and uh, really doing a lot of research. Up yeah. next on our showroom... Oh, no, I've got book for you to take care of. Can I? Yeah, uh, no, mm. no, no, you can't. Nope, not today. <laughs> we're Sorry. being played uh, out. Yeah. yeah, we're being played okay, out. Maybe in the uh, next segment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll try to squeeze it in maybe off the top before we get into some items we're going to talk about. It's Kelly and Rumya right here on AMI. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Rumya will be right back. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to check out the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. To Kelly and Rumya, you can listen to the show in its entirety. Also, we toss on an audio vanity card. Jeff Ryman, hint, hint, Ryman, is supplying that to us today. Uh, that will be on the end of the podcast, the full show. We also have it in segment form where you can check out the show. Maybe you got a favorite segment and you want to catch it. 
Uh, so today, Grant Hardy is not with us. We won't be getting our headlines. Well, not in the same way Grant delivers them. Certainly not quite as good, but Rum and I will we'll do what we can. We'll give it the old college try, as they say. <laughs> but shorten things up in the last segment prematurely. We did want to tell you about the book of the month. Rum, can you jump into that for us? Yes, I can, because we got less than a week to uh, read it now. We'll be discussing it on the last Tuesday of February. The book is called Actress. Very easy title to remember. It's written by Anne Enright, and it was released in 2023. Oh, sorry, 2020. It's recommended to us by Danielle McLaughlin, our Know Your Rights contributor. It's also... Love the book. Yeah? Have you started it? She okay, loved I have not started it. Yeah, it. I've started, but she, she loved, loved it. it. She loved it for sure. Um, it's human narrated on Sela. It is available on Audible as well. And here's a little bit uh, from the back cover. Catherine O'Dell is an Irish theater legend. As her daughter Nora raises her brother, uh, raises her mother, uh, mother's celebrated career in bohemian life, she delves into long-kept secrets, both in her mother's and her own. Catherine began her ter her career on Ireland's bus and truck circuit before breaking it to Broadway and London's West End and Hollywood. Every moment of her life is a performance, with young Nora standing in the wings. But the mother-daughter romance cannot survive Catherine's past or the world's damage. With age, alcohol, and dimming stardom, Catherine's grip on reality uh, becomes frightful. And her grip on reality, uh, her simmering rage, she commits a bizarre crime. Her daughter, Nora's role... Um, gradually changes to Catherine's protector, caregiver, and finally legacy keeper, and she revisits her mother's life of well-kept secrets. So this is basically a two generations of a mother-daughter story, sexual histories, assaulted and silenced, both finding or failing to, to find their powers of recovery. And there's a lot to touch on, obviously, a lot of raw material and a lot of... Um, sensitive subject matter. We're discussing it with Danielle on Tuesday, February 27th, and I'm really looking forward to starting the book. Kels, I'm not sure, did you say you started it already? Yeah, yeah, I've started, okay. but I haven't got that far into it quite mm. a ways, but, uh, so, you know, some of that I'm, I'm, I haven't reached yet, so anxious to see how it unfolds. Well, we've had Literally. a lot of, yeah, we've had a lot of great recommendations from Danielle McLaughlin in uh, previous book club, for previous book club conversations, so I am looking forward to it. It seems like one of those ones, thanks, Ron, um, for really focusing on as you read it, the kind of follow, especially the back and forth and the, the cultural references, the time references right. as well as we dwell back into the late 40s and and, and beyond. So uh, in this in this tracking the history. Um, Rum, do you mind picking up our first item to talk about here? Yes. And we'll get started on our headlines okay. as we don't have Grant Hardy here, so we'll go with some of our clips here to talk about, folks. Yeah, let's profile Jeremy Hansen, because Jeremy mm -hmm. will be the only Canadian on the Artemis II mission that will do a figure eight around the moon next year. The rest of the crew are American, but Hansen says they don't think much about their differences in nationality, instead viewing each other as friends rather than foreigners. And this month, the crew will face its first stressful training course together, a simulation of their capsule being plucked out of the Pacific by the U.S. Navy, as will happen at the end of their eight-day mission. NASA and the Canada Space Agency have jointly sent astronauts into space since 1982. 
John Kennedy, the Canadian press. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, with having read Chris Hadfield's book and talking about the training aspect of going to space, it's just so much stuck with me about that, Kells. The rigorous training, um, obviously the, the kinds of skills we're talking physically but also mental toughness and uh, being able to coordinate and communicate with one another and then there's like the friendly rivalry of stuff as well outside of the actual training and the missions and the serious stuff that you're you know therefore worked really hard to get to that final level to be called upon because just to get to the level of knowing that you're going to space you know that aspect takes years years of build-up well, we used to have such competition, you know, the, the space race, as they would say. Yeah. And now it's interesting because we have the International Space Station. So I always find it fascinating when, as they mentioned in there, let's get, we think of each other uh, as comrades. They're getting together, working mm. on something. doesn't matter where you're from, what country one might say you represent. Um, Jeremy, of course, a Londoner, so all of us here are very proud of, of him uh, and, and speak high. But these great words, these great comments, when you hear we think of ourselves as comrades working together, um, not so much country. And I've always wondered that when we see different representatives of countries working, doing day-to-day stuff, working alongside each other in that international uh, space station, and re- remembering back to the days with this space rate, we're going to get there first, we're going to do that, but now there's so much of it, and there still is, still is that individualism, China or or, or even SpaceX or whomever doing this and that uh, when it comes to it, but it really is a lot of working together and, and, and trying to achieve so that's where you scratch your head and say, how come we, we can't take from that and be doing that on Earth? Or, oh, my God, is that a sign of what's going to happen as we all start getting out there? Are we going to carry our yeah. differences out to space? And what the heck is that going to look like? And you, you just hope not. So I always try to stay on the side of this is great and how we're inspiring. Well, I mean, regardless of all the kind of macro um, impressions of competition and especially around, you know, funding and, and who does more for uh, their country to be able to participate and go out into space and explore these avenues, right? The reality is when you're up there, and, and no matter what type of program it is, the crew that you're up there with and the people that you have to work with, that's literally what it is. You're yeah. out there yeah. together, you're doing all of this, and it takes so much um Relying. Right, exactly. Relying reporting. on one another, reporting, and, and also just being able to understand that you guys are all on the same boat. You're part of each other's rescue missions. You're part of each other's yeah. day-to-day uh, work. Everything is a team effort. And there's no real individualism up there, right? So, no, no. Um, yeah, so all of that kind of, you know, us looking in from the, the public, general public perspective of competition and and, you know, who really gets to go up there is one aspect of it. But when you're in it, this is this is it. I love every country's contribution. I love as you're talking about these guys working together. Each person's there, has their thing that they lend, their specialty. And it's so much of that working like a well-oiled watch, as exactly. they used to say, yeah. because you have to and um, so many targets to reach. Folks, there's been some data from a number of studies, and I'm not sure that this would surprise most of us. We've talked about this on our show, but it suggests that exercise is a beneficial treatment for depression. 
Walking, jogging, yoga, and strength training show notable effectiveness against depression, particularly at higher intensities. That's according to a study in the British Medical Journal that analyzed data from 218 other studies. Over 14,000 people of all ages with depression were studied. But the British Journal authors say they could only be sure of one particular study's lack of bias. All the other studies might be subpar. So more studies needed. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. So what do you think of more yeah, study helpful. needed? Um, yeah. I think more studies needed just because people have such individual experiences um, and such personal experiences with anything mental health, right? And so when we kind of throw around suggestions, and I don't want to say throw around as if we're just, you know, carelessly doing it, but really, like, at the end of the day, there are suggestions, there's advice, but the understanding of a person's experience, the understanding of what kind of care you or I or anybody need in term, in um, days or periods of clinical depression or any kind of, um, you know, unhealth, right? Like, we don't know what that feels like for people. And I guess without having direct feedback or even understanding that direct feedback can be a challenge in and of itself uh, to keep track, to assess how people are feeling is another big aspect of the challenge. Yeah, this can't be deemed a catch-all. And when no. you get research like this and say, hey, go out and run, it'll make you feel better no matter what's troubling yeah. you, no matter if you have uh, something that is more clinical depression or, or been diagnosed with something, go run, just go like lift having a weights. Bad day. Yeah, yeah, you know, and even on the bad day, you know, it's sort of like the, the people that used to say, you know, if you're angry, you want to get your aggression out, go do some boxing or something. Well, that, right. that does, or lift some weights, or that doesn't work for everyone. Of course not. It's not possible. Um, I'm not sure what more studies. Obviously, we know health benefits. We can understand that for a lot of people, the mental health definitely. Is, is, there's, a, there's definitely a, a correlation to making you feel better for different reasons, whether it's, well, for some people, their choice may be to run, and we're better to do that outside. The fresh air might be the trick for them, or the environment, or waving hi to people as, as they're running. That might be the thing that makes some yeah, people Yeah, what aspect? Because right? it may not be the physical exercise at all. It may no. be the, just that you left your environment. You left your, yes. yeah, you left your home, yep. or um, that you were isolated, and like you said, now there's a social aspect to you leaving your house, right? I say this all the time. Ever since I got a dog, I feel like way, way more social than I was before just because of the amount of people who will stop and say hi and yeah. there's that general he's a commonality. sense he's right. a discussion piece exactly so there's this general sense of like oh I'm having a much better day because I'm interacting with so many more people especially in the winter that I wouldn't have if I didn't have a dog and wasn't going out as much so it was interesting and the other aspect too Kells is um where people are at like there's this conversation and concept around meeting people where they are and we have to do this as a society on so many levels but especially when you say go out and exercise we have no idea what who we're prescribing that to right like what's exactly. your general exercise level to begin with do you love hate have any normalcy of exercise did you have normalcy of exercise and movement before getting into this current state um of depression or other kind of thing like there's a lot to discuss yeah, and people who may not be in the means to do so, whether it's a place to go out to or or even physical ability to do so. So I understand yeah. it's not necessarily that catch-all. I do have to say, though, Rum, before we leave this topic and skip over to Greg David, who's in here next, I do have to say to you, 
It's the dog they want to talk to. He's the one they're there to see. Yeah. Not you, Not me. Right? I just yeah, get no, pulled no, into no. it. Just no, no, they just have rash. to talk to you to interpret, right? Like, you know, just I'm to interpret. the middle and person. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, just what a way to make you feel, yeah. you know. Oh, wow, okay. this person's stopping to say hi to me. No, 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 yeah. step aside. It's okay, We're I get it from my dog. family all the time. Why are you here without the dog? Well, mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You like, go home and get him. Yeah. <laughs> next time, could you just leave him? Exactly. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, Greg David joins us to talk about the lack of a season that we talk a lot with him about. It's pilot season, and what are U.S. networks doing because there isn't one? He'll fill us in after this. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. out through TuneIn Radio, OO Tunes, a couple of those apps, folks, in which you can find us, especially when you listen in on AMI-audio for the first airing of the program at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Amazing content on our show. Check it out that way, wherever you're listening in around the world via AMI-audio, TuneIn Radio, Radio Player Canada, OO Tunes, whichever one. Thanks a lot for being there. The first repeat of the program on AMI-tv and AMI-audio is at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't be with us for the debut on AMI-tv at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. Let's talk television with our communication specialist here at AMI, Greg David. I'm Greg David, and I love TV. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where we talk about the biggest hits, misses, and trends in television and entertainment. Kind of feel like a trend. A normal happening has come to a screeching stop, something we are so used to talking to Greg every year about at this time, because at this time, he joins us to talk about U.S. television's uh, pilot season, where networks watch the first episodes of potential series and decide, will this one be a series? Nah. Will this one? Yeah, thumbs up on it. But this year, Greg... It's a bit different uh, because of the Writers Guild strike that took up much of last summer and fall. There is no pilot season for us. Um, how badly did the strike delay these decisions? And welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me as always. And yeah, I know this is my favorite time of the year was when I would come on and I would pitch whether it was really a pilot or not. And then you guys would green light whether you thought that it was a good idea or not. But yeah, things are really different this year. Everything was delayed by months because of the Writers Guild strike. Uh, normally in a non-strike season, the pilot episodes of, of potential series would have been written last summer. Uh, the cast would have filmed last fall and then screened by executives over the winter. And then we'd be having this chat. We'd learn about the pilots who was starring in them and what they were about like right now would be when we would normally be finding out about it. Mm. But instead, like you said off the top, Kelly, there is no pilot season and everything is very, very different this year. Mm -hmm. We'll have to use AMI content. I mean, there's a lot of pitches coming in. <laughs> yeah. we should, like, Greg, are we green lighting this? Are we not? Oh, man, we can listen to Karen and them scream. Yeah, we're overflowing, <laughs> okay? These U.S. networks need our help. So, yeah. If there's no pilot season, though, and it's it's wild to think, like, the trickle effect of this kind of strike, right, and how mm -hmm. long it's going and in how many different capacities. But if there's no pilot season, what does that mean? Is there no programming, new programming? Well, I mean, the last time we spoke about TV show pilots, um, the uh, the broadcast networks had picked up just six 
shows out of the combined 14 pilots that they had uh, that they had uh, kind of lined up now pre-pandemic times there were up to 60 pilots being considered for series and i still say i would love there to be a channel of all of those pilots that never made it to air uh just you know for the the fun of it uh but last year we spoke about several pilot projects that ended up being held over to this upcoming broadcast season because of the strike so uh, mm-hmm. you know things that that had been set up and that we talked about previously they they just never saw the light of day, so the production companies and the network said, okay, well, we're going to hold off, uh, and now these new shows to, that we saw the pilots for, discussed the pilots for last year, are now coming to series. So in addition to potential shows being renewed, um, there have been several freshman series that were supposed to debut this year that have been instead pushed to this fall. Could you imagine that channel running all those, like... That could and, and and if they were dumb enough to say vote on the ones you'd like to see, can you imagine them saying, "No, no, we turned this one. We want to turn this. To, the money for this one would be too ridiculous." But you know what a potential way. To, to actually screen yeah. stuff, but again, what do we know, right? Well, <laughs> view would be, I mean, what do you know what'll work? Well, and that's the thing because we talk about these pilot episodes and and how good and in some cases how bad they are and the ones that never see the light of day. I mean, because there are so many streaming platforms out there, why isn't there a streaming service that just shows these pilots? I'm guessing licensing is the issue. I'm also guessing that television executives don't kind of want to be second guessing themselves. You know, if someone, you know, if the general public said we actually like this show better than the one that made it to the air, so I'm sure that they don't want to be embarrassed about that. Uh, I, I think. That that's the, the the major reason. Um, uh, mm. Now, Amazon did that a few years ago, where they threw they 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 put a whole bunch of pilots uh, up and said, "Hey, vote on uh, on your favorites." And so they made a few shows out huh. of out of the ones that people voted on. So it does kind of work. They just don't want to look back on those previous mistakes no. and say, "Wow, that was a guy was a real dunderhead for not greenlighting that show." Wow. Um, it would be interesting, too, because, I mean, I'm sure there's other things. They, like, we think we don't think about what they know. Hey, man, right. we're planning something similar to this in a year and a half, or this is being worked back in the back, you know, back hall by so-and-so production company that we've hired to create something like this. We don't want right. this one. We want the one we've, we've requested. Um, but they're working it out. What about some of the shows that will air this fall, Greg? Sure. So uh, we spoke of Matlock. Uh, a while ago, which is a reimagining of the 1980s, 1990s legal drama that starred Andy Griffith as Ben Matlock. Uh, obviously, Kelly and I both remember that show because we're so old. Uh, this version, which is on CBS. Oh, no, centers- I like to say it just ran in repeats until, like, you know, we oh. were born. Right. Okay. Thank you. I I need to make a note of that, that that's my sentence from now on. Thank you. Uh, So this, this new version on CBS centers on a brilliant lawyer named Madeline Maddie Matlock, played by Kathy Bates. And she rejoins the workforce at a prestigious law firm. And she uses her unassuming demeanor and wily tactics to win cases and expose corruption from the inside. Uh, So, you know, kind of looking forward to that one because Kathy Bates, obviously an Oscar winner for her role in Misery, which which was a great mm-hmm. um, adaptation of the Stephen King book. Um, in addition to Kathy Bates on on uh, this version of Matlock, uh, the star the show also stars Sky P. Marshall, Jason Ritter, John Ritter's son, and Bo Bridges, who just joined the cast. Jamie Sheridan had originally been in the pilot episode, and now he has some scheduling conflicts. So Bo Bridges is taking over the role. So uh, wow. you know, I'm looking forward to that one. And I, you may remember speaking about this when the first time around. Do you remember what your thoughts were? Do you, are you Kelly, are you kind of excited about this new version of Matlock? 
I mean, I always giggled at Andy Griffith. I liked that what what they created for the show in certain characters. A little slower for me than uh, yeah. I I liked, of course, as as a show. Looking at this cast, though, it does sound really interesting. And I always did, even as a kid, thought courtroom stuff was something else. And I think that was the actor in me that thought, "Wow, what a great actor!" Like doing this, yeah. whoa. And I think that's what I kind of liked about. This and who else but Andy Griffith? Like, what a good actor, what a comic, but that guy could do, uh, be pretty versatile. So excited to see what they do with this. Mm. I, it'll have to look so different, right? Is it going to be in Atlanta yeah. too? Is that where they're setting it, Greg? Do you know? No, I'm not actually I'm sure where this the setting is. Uh, it could be though. Um, now that you say that, it does sound familiar, but I can confirm that for you and get back to you. Um, one of the other ones actually we didn't talk about last year over on ABC is a show called High Potential. And this one is about a single mom who has an exceptional mind. And yes, this is, I'm reading it from a fresh release. Um, and she's, uh, this character is being played by Caitlin Olson from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, a very, very funny show on FX. And uh, her unconventional knack for solving crimes leads to an unusual and unstoppable partnership with a by the book seasoned detective played by uh, Daniel Sanjata, who played a firefighter on Dennis Leary's Rescue Me years and years ago. He's been in other mm. stuff, but um, um, that's kind of the, the role that stands out for me. So, Ramya, legal drama, but it sounds as though there's some kind of humor to it as well, maybe some some dark boundary-pushing humor. Are you into this on ABC? I mean, I'll probably check out clips on TikTok or something. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not usually right. into this kind of uh, TV yeah. shows to begin with, so the content has to be exceptional for me to even want to check it out, right? So so, so do clips give you more of a bias, or do they kind of do like They just a, pick the best parts or up. the funniest parts, or, you know? Right. So you do have to be a reasonable fan of I it. I was just going to say, it's more enjoyable. Slaughtering it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's more enjoyable if you already know the show. Like, when Inventing Anna right. came out, um, then, like, everybody binged it, and then they would put the best, you know, more memorable parts on uh, these, like, little shorts all over YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. It was like, oh, yeah, that moment was awesome. But that's not at all the same as not knowing the you know, show. And that's it. No, exactly, yeah. <laughs> You're right, though, Ramya. Like, TikTok is kind of becoming the place where you go, instead of watching a trailer for a show, yep. you go to TikTok and you check out a 10-second clip, yep. which is, you know, even shorter than a, than a teaser trailer, and you get a, you get a quick idea of, of what the show That's is about. That's just a breath they intake before a long line. Oh, man, okay, I go there's on your Matlock. You get, oh, like, a reason That's to the watch silence. the show, though. Like, there are so <laughs> yeah. many uh, kind of moments where you're like, oh, she killed it there, especially if you're talking, you know, very well-known celebrities and, and mm -hmm. actors and actresses, right? They killed it in this moment, yeah. and then you're more likely to go check out the the show, like you said, Greg, based on just that tiny little snippet of everybody, you know, fan fanning over this person yeah. uh, and that moment on the show than to have read your um, very well-described... Mm -hmm. Synopsis. Synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hope to God you have a big name celebrity in it then. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about this third show that that was already in the works and is going to be coming because talk about big names. We've got two big names and they happen to be both the same one. Uh, this is also on CBS and it's called Papa's House and it stars Damon Wayans as a legendary talk show host and happily divorced guy named Papa. So there's the Papa in the Papa's House. What a single parent his, stuff going on. There is, there is. Um, uh, it's all about representation. So you've got to represent uh, all yeah. the different relationships as well. So I mean, we've had single parent stuff, Greg, on for years, really. That's but, true. Like, that's but true. now you're getting a reflection of 
especially the cultural or situational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Papa's point of view is challenged at work when a new female co-host is hired. And it's also challenged at home where he finds himself still parenting his adult son, a brilliant dreamer played by Damon Wayans Jr., who's trying to pursue his passion while being a responsible father and husband himself. So, uh, you know, more middle of the road sitcom, I would believe. Um, obviously, the the Wayans family very, very funny, going all the way back to In Living Color and since then. Yeah. Uh, Ramya, thoughts on this one, and then Kelly, I'll ask you the same question. That sounds interesting enough. I yeah. Again, there's just so much TV to watch. So question mark. But for you, I'm curious about if you would check it out, Greg, because you watch a lot of TV. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I've said this before. I'm not really a huge sitcom fan, but the Wayans of the Wayans family, I'm into. So yeah. I'm definitely going to check this out. You know, this isn't this isn't Fox. This isn't cable. So um, you know, Damon Wayans and and his son, you know, and the writing staff, they're going to have to keep within those confines of CBS, which is a pretty traditional network. Okay. Um, but it will be, but it will be interesting to see how how they can push those boundaries because it's kind of a a new age. The the networks, the conventional networks, they've got a lot of competition from other services is out there so yeah CBS i'm definitely has good check reputation right for sitcom like popularity yes. and big big like sitcoms becoming huge yeah but more middle of the road like uh you know mm -hmm. big bang theory yes. yeah. uh young yep. sheldon not necessarily uh, edgy half, stuff yeah yeah two and a half no. men so i would say that this may be the edgiest that they ever go but again what what, what does edgy mean in the cbs world? Uh, yeah right. and we don't know how they're how, what they're going to do to rein them in enough to do this kind of show i i kind of like the scenario but greg i noticed that i'm a person who will watch a sitcom usually when it's in syndication like I, i'm yep. not one that's yeah. oh wow that looks great on you know but you put something on that's got mayhem murder and violence and um you know, well, i'm making sure <laughs> i see the preview any any way to right. see the pilot and right. two i find that um sitcoms get the fastest mass reaction and that that's mm -hmm. i'm just speaking anecdotally this has nothing to do with any studies that might be out there to prove otherwise but i'm i find out so quickly that you know people like everyone's into this you got to watch it and it seems to spread so much more faster than any other genre yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. The only other one I would say that might challenge it is the reality genre. Yes, yep. um, yes, for water yep. cooler, but absolutely. And it's because of the always... investment, Greg. Right? Yeah, people yeah. Have to, comedy, you sit back and just take it in, and <laughs> but if you have to learn characters in a different way in some of the other shows, it's slower for it to yes, develop uh, ahead of true. you. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. But you're right. You know, sitcoms are the ones that kind of come out of the gate with a big, with a big bang. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended, and uh, and kind of go from there. Drama always, it's that world building in those first few episodes before you decide whether you're gonna you know, mm -hmm. tune in or not. Yeah, uh, there are several TV series, Greg, that have either just ended or are going to end soon. Yep. Um, La Brea, Jung, Young Sheldon, The Good Doctor, Blue Bloods. What shows have been renewed? Can you give us a reminder? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you just named four shows that are like kind of top of the ratings heap. So the networks are definitely looking for the next big hits. Um, ABC has renewed Abbott Elementary, uh, which I still need to watch and is available not only on ABC, but you can stream it on Netflix if you've got that. Yep. Um, but we're still waiting to hear if there's going to be any more Grey's Anatomy and uh, and its spinoff Station 19. So still waiting on that. Uh, over on CBS, there's a lot of questions. Uh, we're still waiting to find out about several programs 
for the fall, including CSI mm-hmm. Vegas, uh, the Equalizer, FBI, FBI International, and FBI Most Wanted. Don't know about the futures of those yet. And also NCIS. Now, I do want to say that all of these CBS shows, you may be saying, but Greg, I just started watching new episodes of those shows that you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. They've just come back with new episodes after the kind of the holiday break. Um, so uh, the renewal news on the shows that I just mentioned for CBS, we're not going to know anything for a couple of months yet. Usually around May is when we'll find out. Um, and then over on NBC, Magnum PI just ended after six seasons. So we're still waiting to find out about whether there's going to be any new law and order. Uh, the sitcom Night Court, which did very well for NBC, the drama Quantum Leap, and the Chicago franchise. Again, new episodes of those shows, but haven't heard anything with regard to new seasons um, of those ones. Uh, we do know, though, that NBC has just renewed Found, which is a drama which uh, searches for missing people, and The Irrational, which is a detective series starring Jesse L. Martin that is really, really good. Um, so I'm glad that it's been renewed. But yeah, a lot of question marks heading into uh, the fall, uh, into the new fall season which, uh, you know, it seems weird to be talking about the new fall season in February, but yeah, that's where we are. Oh, wow. I forgot about Quantum Leap. Greg, very quickly, do you think they'll ever, these industries, are they like altered forever? Will there ever be a pilot season again? Yeah, I think, you know, pilot season has been gradually phased out over the last uh, several years due to the streaming services and the competition there. So television productions quickly become kind of a year-round thing. But I think the strike may have put the nail in the coffin for the pilot season for good. And that this may be the last chat that we have about this season in particular uh, because everything will be spread out throughout the year. Wow. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that, especially with the model of the streaming services, everything, things drop when they feel it's best or it's ready to go or whatever their, their logic is. Thanks, Greg. We'll next do pilot season at AMI. Take care, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. We'll get John Melville on the panel, man. John will like green light everything. Come on, John, you (laughs) like that. Join Greg David every other (laughs) Wednesday to talk all things television. When we return after the break, coming up next, a Powerball player was denied their $340 million prize due to a computer error. Error? Error? We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Well, green light... What are you doing? Stealing other people's I, mugs? I have a follow-up question. Sorry, just want to clarify that comment that you made right before we came on air. Were you talking Error? about my face or your face? No, over the break. No, no, mine. Your face? I'd get on a cup. Me making the worst look. I'd throw garbage on my face like a makeup so it looked like I was like Freddy Krueger's cousin. Yeah. No, or Freddy Krueger's cousin so nobody would ever take my mug. You okay, know, we were talking good. about people putting, well, what is it? You said you've got your puppy and yourself. Somebody yeah, gave you a, cup, a cup cute with, little with mug you guys with on our it. face on it. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about people taking mugs out of right. in the kitchen. And so Rania. I and you said your comment right after. And I wasn't sure if you were referring to my face that people no, wouldn't no, no. drink out of or yours. Oh, no, I said <laughs> mine. But I, I, well, I you didn't even really mean mine as much as a face, some <laughs> kind of gory looking. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm not drinking anything yeah. out of this. Look who's on it. Is that Kelly <laughs> or is it Freddy Krueger's cousin? So that's what I'm glad, I was I'm glad we clarified that. So. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, all. oh yeah. But but stop stealing people's cups, will you? Before someone and comes up and taps you on the shoulder. Like where are or the last two mugs? It. I don't know what's going on, man. Oh god, just don't break yeah. it. Could you imagine it? Like somebody breaking your mug, you'd be so upset. So That's don't why I'm not bringing theirs. my mugs in. Yeah. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> Accidents can happen, and we can just hear that now in an all-call email. Yes, I accidentally um, stole people's mugs and lost them all over the companies. I don't know how you'd lose them unless you took them home. And why would you take a dirty mug I home? I think I'm leaving them in places that are not the kitchen. Anyway. Well, the only place you go is that studio. The only place you go is that studio. Anyone, any missing mugs? Just look in the studio. Um, the, uh, <laughs> Under the leaves table. Them there. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Kelly McDonald with Rumya Muthan. Who we're else gonna, we bringing in here? We're going to get into we're the guessing. buzz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we get into the buzz. Um, and that's to wrap up the first hour. It's a conversation where we flip through articles. Bill Shackleton isn't here, so we're joined by Beth Deer, who's filling in. Beth, are you uh, stealing people's mugs? Hello. Hi. I was actually going to say to you guys, so I could be wrong, but obviously our friends of the show, Jim Crisco and Alex Smythe, I'm pretty sure, and again, I could be wrong, but I am like pretty certain that Alex has a face, has a face, has a mug with Jim's face on it. And I think that Jim has a face, has a face. Oh my <laughs> God. I just kind of or they accidentally has, swapped? No. So I'm pretty sure that Alex bought Jim a mug with <laughs> his Alex's face on it. Face on it. <laughs> Yeah, because he used to be in the Edmonton Bureau. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's adorable. I was going to say, what the heck's going on? Is Emi doing like this present thing, this random present thing of mugs? They're besties. I'll just send this out to Halifax, Delahanty. Yeah, we've coined them besties now because we've heard about this mug swap. That's so sweet. They're related by mugs. So no, I'm not into stealing mugs. I'm... I'm like Rum, like I have like my mug and it like hurts my feelings if people use my mug because oh. that's not the rule. Um, um. Uh, is there anything particular about your mug? Like your mug isn't on the mug, right? Your face. No, my mug yeah. my mug is not on the mug. Um oh, your mug, that's a good one. It's a very it's a very generic mug. I'm pretty sure I got it as a gift that someone got it from Indigo because I also bought that same gift for someone else. Um, but the thing I like about the mug is it's a funky shape and it's big. So uh -huh. it's like, instead of having like multiple cups of coffee, I can just have like one, one big yep. cup, yep. Of, yep. Coffee. cup of coffee. I have that's one of those what, too. Yeah. That's what qualifies that's me done. for a mug. Yep. Big. Yeah. yeah. So if you so, bought this for your uh, the same kind of mug to your friend, can you are you like do you have enough chips or anything in that mug? So if you guys were hanging out having coffee together, you would you not know mix which them up. Yours? Yeah. Well, I don't that think that they would ever bring their mug no. to my house. Oh, okay. Well, I just don't know that they would ever bring their mug to my house, and I don't think I'd ever bring my mug to their house. Because if I was going to their house, that would imply that I would need a travel coffee, which would be a completely different kind of mug. Wow. That would probably be like my Yeti coffee mug that I used to use. When yeah, I was we're, really, we're really getting into it here. <laughs> Listeners are like, are, okay. All right. They're saying, we're done now, guys. <laughs> uh, we're done, uh, mugs. Can you move on to yeah. another cup of conversation? Yeah, can we find out yeah, about this guy exactly. who didn't get his lottery money, please? And Yeah, so he can buy all the mugs he wants. <laughs> 100%. So a man who thought he had won $340 million at a jackpot in a Powerball lottery is now suing the game's administrators after they said 
their website mistakenly showed him numbers as the winning combination or his numbers as a winning combination. So what happened was he went to the website and obviously on the website, his numbers that were on his ticket came up. Now the company claims that they accidentally put his numbers up when they were meant to be putting his numbers on the test website before obviously releasing the numbers like several days later. So I'm a little bit confused in the sense that I don't know why he was checking his numbers like so early if the numbers weren't going to be released for like a few days or so. But I also am with this man. He saw his numbers on the website where they, you know, would be if you had won. Yeah, this is like official, right? Like you would go and check your numbers. This That's what the organization says. So he said in the article, he was like, I wasn't, he was like, I wasn't crazy excited at first. I called one of my friends. They told me to take a picture of it. So I did. And then I went to bed. So he went to bed and then he went to the office of this company to obviously claim his prize. And he was literally told just like, throw that in the trash. It is doesn't mean anything. You didn't actually win, you know. Because why? Like what? They it was didn't, an actual they didn't... error? Yeah. So like they just said like, oopsie, like you weren't meant to see that. It was meant to go to another website. We messed up and just like put it. And on, now you owe me a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was doing some reading and I guess this happened before. I want to say it was in like Ohio or something. And the numbers, uh, people got compensated. They obviously didn't get their like. It has to be. But they yeah, got to be fair, like, you'd have $200 to be. or like whatever. Yeah. Whatever the lawsuit is, I swear this guy's yeah. got to get some money out of it. Cause... Just funny enough, my uh, my lawsuit calls for $340 million <laughs> plus court expenses. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, yeah, but... so anyway, he's suing them, but I don't know, like, this was this happened in January of 2023, but this article only just came out in the last week. So yeah. I'm not really sure. Like, I think this is one that I'll have to bring back when there's more of a conclusion because I think this could be really interesting. I just feel it like will be. it's a pretty expensive like happens, mistake. Yeah. yeah and, when stuff like this happens uh, uh, in the States, it usually, like, I feel like in Canada, it would just be like a, no, like, and people kind of like respect authority and would not bow down, but I feel like they would walk away a lot easier. Like, law, what was the Tim Hortons one? Wasn't it like, like that oh, with the Tim Hortons man, roll up? Yeah, wasn't there one with that where the woman yeah. they had several yeah, people yeah. like they were winning thousands mm-hmm. of dollars on roll up the rim and uh, were told, No, sorry, it was an accident these rims aren't real or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. and and it kills me because in this case, like, what are you going to do? you got to give them something to shut it up to get get ahead Mm -hmm. of any lawsuit or any action. Because it's not... Yeah, and where are you getting more than 340 million dollars? Exactly. Where are you going to come up with money to pay off any lawsuit because a person isn't going to settle for $500,000. Oh, sorry, we made a mistake. <laughs> That's not going to happen. You would be best to say we made a mistake. We have to honor this and give the and take out the fallout when people but say, well, I'm going to stop buying your tickets. But like, 
don't even give the guy the 350 million that he thinks he like deserves which in my opinion like he does like he saw his numbers he has proof that his numbers were on your website yeah you know because he took the picture i don't know what person is gonna go from having like i mean i don't know he might have loads of money but i doubt it but like what person's gonna go from thinking they've won 340 million and say the company turns around and says, okay, well, we'll give you $2 million and leave us alone. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lifetime like, of tickets and maybe you'll win a $340 yeah, million like down the road. Some kind of compensation. Like, what person's going to be like, no, like, I'm fighting to the bitter end, like... Because now there's like several things to consider, right? Number one, um, does somebody else get that $304 million? that was promised I'm, is there an actual I, I winning so, number right so then you owe two I would people there's a proper winning number well, right so you, then you owe you, the person who why. accidentally won and the one who, right. who really wins apparently yeah uh, all you can really do is pay the one that accidentally and pretend that that was the winning like, that's yeah, what I, I would assume. Just make I it easier. You, yeah. But unless they put the other numbers out there, because right. there's the person who may have checked in person. And so you're screwed. And then um, the second thing is, unless, like, this is all moot if there is fine print on the website a version of winning your winning the lottery so like mm. if they yeah, have something honestly, up there that covers this, uh, this if we area screw up, clause, we can arbitrarily yeah, give yeah. it to somebody yeah. like our brother-in-law if you think you won based on the website uh you may not have actually won or whatever along those lines yeah. clause. Psych. it's april fools uh, every day there here if they had that then it, i don't think it would have gotten as far as it did a year well later. and you wouldn't yeah, you wouldn't I, buy I tickets agree. at something that could play games like that yeah, like what do you, you mean? if they we decided that we don't like your tie you're not getting this money yeah that's what? a whole nother lawsuit <laughs> i just can't believe yeah, exactly. that he was told like just like chuck the ticket <laughs> in the bin like yeah. like oh yeah oops right i just like i can't believe they wouldn't like investigate it further and like that makes me think that they already like knew that they had maybe screwed up, and it was like, "Hey, like, or it happens if, more often, but I nobody's can't. made a deal out of it." You ma- mm-hmm. But but somebody had yeah. to. Can you imagine how many jerk lawyers out there that would just all they'd hear is "ching"? They wouldn't even know what you're saying. They'd just yeah, hear the cash register "ching, ching." Oh man, Beth. Okay, give us another one. Okay, another one. This is actually like my favorite story because it's about Costco and you guys know I just I just love Costco. So <laughs> that was a viral that? Right, TikTok. <laughs> uh, like this is embarrassing. My two year old is like, I'm like, where do you want to go? She's like, Costco. <laughs> <laughs> and like people FaceTime us and they're like, Henley, what did you do today? She's like, oh it's a Costco. We had the best time ever at Costco. Okay, Costco we have, we have thirty yeah. seconds. Okay, tell us what happened on TikTok. Okay. A lady posted a video of the fact that she was upset with her couch. She'd had it for two and a half years, didn't like the color of it anymore. Called Costco, said, hey, I want to return this. And they were like, absolutely, no problem. Bring us your two and a half year old couch and we will give you a full refund. And they did. (laughs) And they did. At least someone honored. (laughs) I like the way Beth said this. She was upset with her couch. You stupid couch. How dare you do that? Why were you warping in that spot? No, I swear this is a meme that Costco, you can return things like a decade later. Like they don't... Ask questions. They don't care because it's just any. This is going to go to the dump. Though. Oh yep. man! But yep. Costco is like such great quality, and 
just such great service. This does not surprise me at all that you can return a two and a half year old. They're just making so much money off our memberships. They don't even care. Mm-hmm. They Beth don't even care about their calories. Costco. <laughs> Beth is just gonna yeah, move into a Costco. Uh, Beth, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Of course. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Okay. Buzz with Beth, where we flip through articles Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays. I hear the hot dogs are good. Buck fifty. Eh? Yeah, hmm. they're decent. Hmm. Wow. Let's go hot dogs. Step aside for a couple of moments, ladies and gentlemen, on our independent living skills segment next hour with Leanne Barda. We continue our discussion on hosting parties. And on our Traveling with JJ segment, JJ Hunt takes us to New York City to explore what it has for you, everything to offer to us from street life to public living. But up next, last month, an important report was released by the Child and Youth Advocate in Alberta. Community reporter Mark Workman gives us an update after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. As we begin the second hour of Kelly and Rumya, myself at the home studio, London, Ontario, Rumya over there at the studio in Toronto at our main office, I want to remind you the show debuts on AMI-tv weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Check us out on the best of Kelly and Rumya over the weekends on AMI-tv. And on AMI-audio, you can find us first at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. If you're listening in, wherever you're doing that, thank you for being with us. And repeated on both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern time, plus an overnight and a first thing in the morning repeat. So uh, lots of opportunity to catch the program whenever you get a chance. Rummy and I appreciate it, and uh, thank you. And hopefully you enjoy the show and really love you hanging on and riding along with us. One of the great things we get to do on this program that we're so honored is visit with our community reporters. Generally, we have them on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. This week, we're slipping one in tomorrow because of the Monday vacation uh, holiday that we we were not on the air for. Today, though, we go out west. It's time to welcome in our community reporter from Edmonton. Mark Workman joins us. Mark, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Always uh, awesome and uh, glad to have you with us on the show as we we enjoy having fun carrying on and uh, getting paid for it. Anyway, Mark, <laughs> uh, when we last met, you had an upcoming trip to Europe. Uh, tell us, how did it go? Where did you end up going with this as we do a travel check-in with you? Yeah, so the uh, plan was to go to Lisbon, Dublin and London, which I was able to do. And so the main reason for the trip was the European Blind Union General Assembly. So they're one of the regional affiliates, you could say, of the World Blind Union, and they held their Mm -hmm. General Assembly. Uh, They do it every four years, brings together leaders within the blindness community from, from all over Europe. So that was sort of the main reason for the trip was to head over to Lisbon. But on my way, uh, because I was going to be in Europe anyway. Um, our member in Ireland, known as Vision Ireland, invited us over to have a look at their new wayfinding center. And then we also made a stop in London for a few days to visit with RNIB and a few other partners there. So it was a, oh, it was a good trip. Wow, a lot of great contacts, a lot of kind of catching up, I'm sure, uh, in key places when we talk about that throughout the world. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Wayfinding Center in Ireland? That sounds kind of cool. So cool. Yeah, definitely um, an interesting element of the whole trip. Um, and it might be worth 
you know, having someone from Vision Ireland on the program to talk a little more in depth, but I'll just share sort of my impressions of it, because it's really unlike anything that I've heard of before or seen before. It's this really large warehouse sized space, you know, in the neighborhood of 31,000 square feet that Vision Ireland has taken over and they've designed it such that there are a bunch of different modes of transportation within this space. So they have, for example, a double-decker bus, which I had never been on myself. They have a train car, like you might have like a subway car or a light rail train car. They even have a small airplane um, in this space. And so the the whole idea behind it is now you've got this um, space that you can really customize. It's great for doing training, like orientation Mm -hmm. and mobility training for those people who might be new to site loss. Also those people who are providing services. So if you're flight attendants, if you're uh, a bus operator, then you might go to this space to receive training. Those are kind of the obvious ones, but they were even talking about having like schools may be interested in doing visits uh, to to check out some of this stuff. The firefighters were saying they would like to use it for training. So, I mean, I think what's really exciting about this space is all the potential it has. Yeah. Like, we yeah. don't know what it's going to look like, what what is going to happen a year from now, because those ideas haven't even been thought of yet. Um, no. So it's wow. really kind of a cool, cool space. And I look forward I- to seeing how it all evolves. I used to find that fascinating in Toronto. We used to hear about the under Bay Station station. And at one point, they used that for low vision blind people, for mobility, for people doing cane training, for them teaching and working with uh, with guide dogs. So uh, these places, as you said, there's so much there's so much available to, to, to help everyone, not just us learning how to, mm-hmm. you know, deplane or, or maybe get, you know, off a plane, but um, like the firemen, like so many people to do rescues in that. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, it's the same. I just love the concept around not knowing exactly what it is, but there's all the space for collaboration, for creativity, for accessibility, obviously, and training. These kind of specialized spaces, because we're aware of uh, some around Canada, right? Closer to home for us, we have the W. Ross McDonald School or uh, mm-hmm. Lake Joseph Center in the Muskokas, where people utilize these spaces for so much more than the original intentions, and the original intentions already are such incredible places to start so i'm very curious and super excited yeah that definitely like i say i'll um i'll do an email introduction and maybe you can have someone on who nice. can tell you a little bit more about the history of it and how it all came about yeah okay awesome mark and and sounds like a really great um uh kind of european uh trip for you as well with all the places that you hit Uh, Going closer to you in Edmonton, because last month an important report was released by the Child and Youth Advocate in Alberta, and the report looked at the experience of young people with disabilities and um, the child intervention and youth justice system, so the experiences and such. So you've had a chance to review the report. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, it's a bit of a heavier uh, topic for this segment. So Mm -hmm. this report was released at the end of January, as you mentioned and it's called beyond barriers it's from the child and youth advocate here in alberta and what it does is it offers a close look at the experiences that young people with disabilities are having when they interact with both the youth intervention system so that's usually where you might uh, have children who are in foster care or who are in other types of maybe temporary care adoption uh, that part of the system as well as the justice system where you've got uh, children who may have had experiences with with the law and and 
I think what I found really interesting is the word experiences really is key here because what they did was they interviewed a lot of different people, young people with disabilities themselves, but also people working in this space. And for me, what I found quite powerful about the report was they pull quotes directly from the interviews. And so you really get to hear in their own words of the children or the younger folks of the people working in this industry, uh, exactly what those experiences look like. And I think that can make it really um, helpful to hear it from them in their own words. Yeah. Now, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, the findings um, of this report, I, I think, won't be super surprising, right? Mm -hmm. it's, um, we, we learned that a lot a lot of younger people with disabilities are not receiving the supports and services they might need within these two systems. So, you know, examples might be if you're a younger person with uh, mobility disabilities and you end up in foster care, are the places where you're being placed, are those um, spaces, are those housing situations, is that accessible to you? If you've got mental health or intellectual disabilities, will the person who's providing care to you, uh, will they understand, will they have proper training in how to, to support you? Um, so these are the kinds of findings that came out of this. And then there are a few recommendations as well. And this is provincial, right? You're talking um, yeah, they're looking okay. at the, the provincial uh, system. Now, there's going to be some overlap with the federals, especially when we're talking about in, Indigenous people, uh, that the two systems have some have some overlap. Uh, but these would largely be controlled by um, provincial governments. Yeah, like you said, the, the findings are probably not surprising, especially if we're just really hearing about these kind of things uh, a lot with our own, you know, networks and lived experiences and just keeping in touch with disability communities. But uh, it's very important, as, as we talked yesterday to the Chief Accessibility Officer of Canada, uh, Stephanie Cadu, mm -hmm. like it's important to have the, the advisory and the specific, um, I guess, perspectives of people living and then be able to formally curate all that into a report and for recommendations because it's just something to go off of right mm -hmm. yeah i think we i mean we talk about nothing about us without us yeah i think mm -hmm. that uh that phrase has even started to evolve a little bit to the idea that it's nothing without us because Absolutely. even these things even these things that you might not think are disability related have impacts on, on people with mm -hmm. disabilities that are that are unique. And so really, we need to be at the table, providing our perspective in all kinds of areas. Everyone's impacted. Mm -hmm, for yes. sure. Yeah. Well, and as we got into it with Stephanie, I say, Mark, using reports like this to support advocacy, the question we always have, and we talk on this program, how does this help us, especially when people have to be, you know, when we have to ensure this isn't just going to be left on a shelf somewhere? Yeah, I have a lot of those same questions. And you know, it doesn't help when the fact that one of the recommendations in this latest report was basically to go back and implement the recommendations from a report three years ago. Oh, gosh. Right? So oh, we, yeah. That is we very know discouraging. That, yeah. that sometimes these reports, that, uh, that things are not happening with them. And so my general view on these types of reports is that on their own, they don't really do a lot. But what they do is they provide us with tools that we can use in our advocacy work. So I think a report like this uh, with, with different recommendations and findings can help us 
the community, put some, like, give us some leverage that we can use with decision makers. So we need to mm -hmm. constantly be asking, you know, those those in charge what they're doing to address the recommendations in the report. And we can't just ask it once. You know, we need to keep asking. We need to have others ask these questions um, with us as well, like the media or the opposition. Yep. And we essentially just need to put sustained pressure on the decision makers here. And this connects to me uh, quite deeply because in my own work, which is at the international level, you kind of have a similar feeling that what happens at the international level on its own, it doesn't have the same weight as a law, for example, yeah. right? It's like a report. They don't have the weight of law, but they do carry this moral weight, I think. And if we can use it to our advantage within our advocacy, I do think in the long term, it can help us, it can help us make meaningful change. Certainly. And it's awful because so many of us don't want to think about as we age, disability coming into our lives, being a bigger part of our lives, affecting us. So we don't want to talk. We don't want to understand necessarily, not to be ignorant, but we just, oh, I don't really know what to say or do about this. It's really disturbing. So we end up shelving so much and not being able to justify the cost that might be involved to make some of these changes, to bring some things into law, to legislate and encourage. So therefore, it's a total avoid a lot of time, Mark. But you're right. Um, you know, so many things are at least guides and, and look back. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next month. You betcha. Our committee reporter uh, from Edmonton, Mark Workman, joining us. A lot there to unpack, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great stuff. We appreciate what Mark brings and all our committee reporters when they're here with us Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the program. Tomorrow we will have another report. Kim will be here to give us a report from the Yukon. So do check in with us tomorrow on the show. Up next in our Traveling with JJ segment, J.J. Hunt takes us to New York City to explore all it has to offer from street life to public living. We get into that, do a lot of learning, closing our eyes and experiencing right after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. All right, here we go. You know the peanut gallery is uh, responding, folks, to the Costco conversation and Powerball. This is from Brock Richardson. Listen, without a doubt, he is fighting these hockey pucks to the bitter end if they have the audacity to hand off 500000 He said he'd be waiting and waiting yep. if that's all they offered up to him. He's still waiting. Oh, and by the way, Costco hot dogs are the best $1.50 you'll ever spend, he says. <laughs> You know, what is it about the uh, hot dogs at Costco? Seriously. I don't know that, like and a, I hear about like that the and the Ikea pizza. meatballs. Oh, That's my right. gosh. Oh, see, I have, I've heard more about the darn Costco hot dogs. It's almost like everyone who goes there, oh. they're starving from buying so much stuff so the hot dogs even look better. No, no, no. Sometimes we plan visits to Costco to have the hot Just dogs to get at the end. My Seriously. dad used to do that. Yeah, my no. My dad, I'd say, where's the same reason why I go to Costco. Ikea. You think I like buy stuff at Ikea? No, I just want to get to the meatballs. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Yeah, anyways. Um, <laughs> another fun conversation we love to have is our traveling with JJ segment. And so for those of us who are 
not going anywhere, JJ. We literally look forward to this Wednesday of the month so we can talk to you oh, and yeah. pretend like we're going to talk places. about his Costco trips for us next. <laughs> I went into Costco, guys. Please. The hot dog was steaming off of the oh. We should definitely do please. a traveling oh, to Ikea segment with you. Yeah. Hey, we absolutely could. <laughs> There's I, so I, much. There, there's all sorts of stuff to talk about in Ikea or Costco yeah. or anything. I'm, I'm a big fan of the 99 cent breakfast at Ikea, although it probably is a buck 49 now. Oh. It's been a while since I've been there. Rough. So. That's rough. Yeah. Now that I have heard about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But today we are going a little further. We're going to New York City. Um, what yeah. isn't there to talk about in New York City, right? Like it's just everything's going on. But when was the last time you went? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's been a few years. Uh, I've been a I've been a whole bunch. I, I used to go to New York with some regularity. It's gotten a, to be very expensive to stay in New York, and I got a family of four, so that makes it even more expensive. Mm. But it's it's so it's probably it's been in the since the before time since pre COVID that I've been in New York. But I, I I've gone. Uh, I went in high school. I went in in university. I took my kids when they were little. I took my kids when they were preteens. Uh, and I love New York. Most of my time spent in um, in Manhattan, but, you know, been to Coney Island as well, out into the burbs a little bit. I love hopping on a subway and going as far as you can go in right. New York. Mm -hmm. yeah. I it's bet. Fun. How about you guys? You guys uh, fans of New York City? Yeah, weekenders um, and things like that. But I yeah. don't go with an agenda. And that's what I was curious about, if you've done yeah. it with agendas or without or both and what's successful. But Kelly? I've, I've yeah. never, I've never gone except once, I think, while traveling uh, to visit a buddy of mine in Baltimore. It's funny how some places I've been to all so many times, other places not, like New York City. So explain to me, JJ, I'm really curious, the vibe, because you've gone through high school, you've gone with family. Yeah, changes. What different yeah. experiences and times, and what would you say, I don't want to say one kind of thing, being on my own is the best, but yeah. <laughs> what for you did you take in and, and, and really feel the vibe was at its best there? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's one of the great things about New York City is like it doesn't matter how you're going. It doesn't matter if you're an independent with no agenda mm. and you just want to walk for days and days and days. New York's a great town for that. If you yeah. want to go and see theater one show after another after another, it's great for that. If you're with a group of people who are all about museums and galleries, mm. New York's amazing for that as well. So New York is the kind of place that no matter when and I've been in the winter, I've been in the in the summer and in the spring, like different seasons. New York has its uh, different kinds of charms. And I think one of the reasons for me that I like New York and, and I feel like New York works well at any time is is visually it's the, it's the vibe the energy of the place and the visuals of the city new york uh, boomed uh between 1870s and 1830s the population grew sevenfold in one generation from under a million people to over seven million people in one generation and wow. so the city had to expand and build warehouses and apartment blocks and office buildings all sorts of infrastructure to house all of those people. And it just so happened that that was a pretty charming era of, of architecture, mm. right? Lots of brick and stone buildings, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and the kinds of buildings that we would now consider to be kind of timeless, right? Stone uh, stone and brick buildings with trim at the ground level, trim above the, the windows, trim at the roof stones, right? That's right. The brownstones were from that era. Gorgeous buildings, um, and, and it's it's it is it is 
an infrastructure that has aged well, both in terms of material, stone and brick, it stands the test of time. But like I said, it's considered a kind of timeless architecture. So even as you add these massive, super tall buildings and modern architecture, and, and, and you know, you get into the deco side of things, the, the the whole city is is beautiful old brick, wrought iron fire escapes, mm. um, beautiful uh, parks, neighborhood parks, central parks that dot the city. There's just a lot of 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 charm in the place that that ages well, that dresses up nicely, that even kind of looks great when it's gritty and dirty. <laughs> so when that's your baseline for the city, <laughs> uh, it's it's a great place to be, right? It's a great place to just hang out mm-hmm. and do whatever it is you're interested in. Were you fascinated, JJ, how something like that could grow so fast and so, I don't want to say, like, you know, like like you've got, you're on an island when it comes to Manhattan. There's only so far you can go, but you still got to build these buildings. What kind of engineering process does it take oh. that, hey, we have so many people coming here, we need to build here, 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 this style, we're going to do that. That must fascinate someone like yourself. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's visual evidence of this all over the place. Like you look at the way buildings are smashed up against each other. You look at mm. the heights of buildings and, you know, you're in a neighborhood and you can kind of see a whole neighborhood come together at once. Like those brownstones, Kelly, like all of those street by street, you can see that they were oh. like they're all built in 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 one chunk. This whole street of row buildings, row houses all at once tenement buildings which are you know some of them are are, are kind of lovely they're, they're they're really nice and the the other thing is when you build that quickly that fast for so many yes. people you have to you have to create public space and public amenities because no one's got it themselves People don't have backyards and front yards, right. so you need parks. You need sidewalks that are wide enough. You need to have, create rules that allow for street food and and, and, and amenities like skating rinks and basketball mm. courts. And so that brings life out onto the street. So as you're walking around, you can kind of point out, oh, I know why that park must be there. It's because that building's there. And, and you can kind of piece it all together. And wow. the soundscape of the place the languages that you're hearing as you walk around the uh the the smells of the city i mean mostly good some a little foul but even the foul <laughs> ones have their charm you can yeah, smell it's... new york as soon as you step off the plane man like it is just <laughs> so there it's so new york like there's nothing like it i think maybe the novelty of it being similar in toronto has worn off for me but every time yeah. i step out of whatever transportation is that i took to new york the bus the plane i I'm like I know I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, Toronto's too much of a baby. Like, yeah, it's too it's, it's too young as yeah. a city, right? Yeah, it's it's true. And you know, I, I being a Toronto guy, born and raised, there are a lot of kind of mid-sized North American cities that just don't do it for me. Mm. I, I'm pretty snobby. I I like Toronto. I like our soundscapes. I like our food. Um, but New York is is different. New York has that age. It's got that history. And the other thing is New York is iconic. Everything about New York is iconic. We've all grown up with stories of New York, with New York being the big apple. Yeah. Uh, yep. And yep. also New York in film, right? Yep. Like New York, I, I looked it up. I was curious. IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, lists 395,000 films set in New York City. Yep. 
So whatever. And even if you're not said, movies, some protagonist or another is going to New York for you know that one scene. To, exactly. There's <laughs> always going to be something in New York, and it doesn't matter what era of film you're into, right? Yeah. Like King Kong, Citizen Kane, Miracle on 34th Street, all New York. If you're a yep. noir fan, that's all New York. Breakfast at Tiffany's, West Side Story, Raging Bull, Saturday Night Fever, Shaft. If you're an 80s kid, Ghostbusters, Crocodile Dundee, When Harry Met Sally, Home Alone <laughs> 2, all of the Spider-Man movies, plus Sesame Street and Law and & Order, like... All of these movies and TV shows are just embedded in our brains. Mm. So when you're in New York, even if you're doing just kind of casual run-of-the-mill things, right. it feels iconic, right? A, a simple hot dog in New York. You go to a hot dog cart, stainless that's a steel scene. cart. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. It's just a very standard cart. Like, there's nothing extraordinary about the cart. It's got the but umbrella. It's, it's got New some York. steam. But you know, that's yeah, you right. just hit a Broadway show and <laughs> now you're having you're, a dog. Yeah. That that's exact. And when, if you go to Washington Square Park and you and you walk through the giant arch at the front of the park, now you feel like you're you're Harry when he met <laughs> Sally, right? Yep. Everything yep. you do in New York is iconic. You get a cocktail in a bar, suddenly you're in Sex in the City. If the steam comes up from the from the subway grates mm -hmm. on the sidewalk, yeah. yep. now you're Marilyn Monroe with the with the the wind lifting the hem of your cocktail dress, right? right? <laughs> Everything you do in New York, big or small feels like you're participating in some kind of iconic cultural moment, cultural event. And it's 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 lovely. It's a lovely way to kind of go about your day feeling like you're in every movie that you've ever loved. You this, know? this segment is the trailer for New York. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm waiting for J.D. to get into how New Yorkers, since you've been there enough and talked to enough New Yorkers yeah. Yeah. who get sick of us. The people watching <laughs> is excellent. This city this way. Well, and they get, but yeah. and asking them, and hey, I want to do an iconic this or that, like, like this is such an iconic play. This is home. Shut up. You know, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it yeah, must get I to them. It really must. And and I have I've, I've had this experience of like you stop on a sidewalk because you want to take in a moment, but the sidewalk moves <laughs> like an escalator, right? You yes. have to keep moving. And if you stop to take a picture or you stop to gawk at one of these like, oh, my gosh, a New York City phone booth, the, the, the dirty slow, oh, the language that you will get from people is rather is rather fierce. <laughs> they do not want you to stop on the sidewalk. People are tired of being told how fantastic their city is uh you know but that's it, it is part of the experience to get told off by a new yorker like that's that's that, that's you know kind of makes your day you walk away from that being like oh my gosh i just got yeah. into a swear fight with someone on the sidewalk i am What's, in new york and he, and he <laughs> had the accent and he's told me yeah. move along buddy move along and, uh, exactly um, and it's so funny that way jj moments what are the moments that you want to share with us Oh, you know, I remember so clearly, like you talk about that accent being on the uh, on a long subway ride. And, you know, you go into the subway in in Toronto. There's only one subway line that's going east and like west. You, you get on that platform, you know what subway is coming. That's not always the case in New York. Sometimes you're standing on a platform and your train goes, uh, you know, veers to the right. And the next train that comes along veers to the left. So you got to get on the right car, the right train. And so we got on a, on a subway train. 
And it was a train that was heading to the Bronx, not the train that was going in the other direction. Hmm. And every stop, the announcer got on the train and said, this one's going to the Bronx. <laughs> and every single stop, this one's going to the Bronx, people. And you could tell that this guy like was leaning into, it seemed like his accent got thicker and thicker <laughs> the closer every got single to the time. Bronx. <laughs> this one's going to the Bronx. As he got closer to the Bronx, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, speaking Speaking of which, am I putting you on the spot to get the JJ description of the public transit system, like the map of the New York City subway? The system? map of the subway system is, it's the kind of map that I reference all the time when talking. If, if I describe a piece of art, like a Jackson Pollock, where paint is spread all over the camera, <laughs> dribbles, I reference the yes. New York City subway map. It is a wild map, lots of connection points. And then I think that the, the subway system itself has cleaned up a fair bit. So I don't think there's as much graffiti on the outside of the trains as there used to be. Used to be yeah, almost every train outlines. was covered. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> you don't get as much of that. But what's interesting is within the infrastructure, a lot of it feels unfinished. So when you're in the system, you see a lot of like a lot of the steel girders and you see a, a lot of like the, the, the blackened, uh, you know, ceilings and things like that. Whereas in a lot of parts of the world, you try and pretty everything up. Mm. This is a little bit grittier. It's a, this is a subway system that's been in place for a very long time. There are a lot of stops to to, to clean a lot of stations to clean sometimes it gets a little gritty but that's part of yeah. the new york more charm, out of the necessity right? of needing the system to be what that's it is. right what's the you color? don't have time to clean or shut yeah. it down in any way totally. yeah what's the color coordination like though we have like three oh. lines in toronto so i'm like okay yeah green yellow and whatever else but yeah exactly the green line the yellow line line one two and four now i think we have <laughs> uh -huh. in toronto which doesn't make any By sense SRT. Um, yeah exactly and in new york it's it's all kinds of colors. I can't even uh, uh, like picture in my head just how many lines there are in New York, but the map is color coordinated yeah. line by line with little dots connecting, you know, where there are intersections and in uh, transit hubs. And uh, yeah, so you can navigate. It's it's reasonably easy to navigate, um, but it it, it 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 you have to pay attention. Mm. You can't just yeah. get on and <laughs> go to the end of the line because you're on line one and it's going to end at the you know at the top. It's going to end in right. the right. It's not a grid off. system per se from no, the no. not the subway, oh, not the no subway, way. not the subway. Yeah, yeah. the, the city. Is, JJ, is eighteen ninety eight. Yeah, What's when that? did it open? 18, the subway opened what? 1898, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, uh, crazy. Like I that. mean, really old by by subway standards. Yeah. So and I it's mean, not it's, just purple. It's, it's like light purple, impressive. medium purple, dark purple. You know, pay attention to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome, JJ. Thank you so much. Super fun. Can't wait till uh, traveling with you in March. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Okay. JJ Hunt is our audio describer who joins us on the third Wednesday of each month for our traveling segments. And today we, uh, we visited New York City. Coming up next on the other side of the break in two minutes, our independent living skills segment with Leanne Barda. We continue our discussion on hosting parties. We get into themes, supplies, etiquette, and so much more after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly and Ramya, weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. You can find us on AMI-audio beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And we like to talk a little bit of uh, independent living on the program. So today we're going to check in with Leanne Barda as we get things started. Hi, my name is Leanne Barda, and I'm here to teach you all about independent living skills. Please join me on Kelly and Ramya. All right, and we've got a lot to get to. We're continuing the conversation we had with Leanne that we started before, our chat on hosting dinner parties. Leanne, welcome back. How's it going? Ah, going pretty well. How about you? Ah, excellent. Um, I'm told we're wearing virtually the same color. Yes, we are definitely twinning today. So uh, right on theme because uh, we're taping on Valentine's Day. So I think we're on point for today's theme. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. And I, I should say to people, I'm told this is like a Episcopalian purple, and but but for you looking at it, it's closer to a burgundy kind of. Yeah, but that is oddly specific. <laughs> so. It's really oddly specific. Wow. Okay, yeah. let's jump into things with theme. We want to start there when it comes to having our party. Right. So with the amount of themes that are available these days and the, you know, the wide array of interests that people are into from, you know, eighties parties to, uh, you know, thirties night or um, retro gaming, uh, board games, murder mysteries, uh, you know, superheroes, you have so many choices now. So it's yeah. just kind of narrowing it down to the people you hang out with and what you think people are going to go for the most. Okay. When you want to look at all the things you're doing, we always think, of course, in our, our nature, accessibility. How does that play in place when it comes to the theme parties? Right. So if you are playing games, are they accessible? Do you need uh, what kind of accommodations do you need so that everyone can play uh, independently or as independently as possible at the same time? Do you need to use specific technology? Do you need to make sure you have Braille cards? Um, you know, or can you like audio label everything just to make sure that um, you've got what you need? You know, I think that one of the things that so many of us may forget, not intentionally, either when we're hosting, what do we expect from the guests? But as a guest, I want to do the right things. Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the etiquette. Right. So a good thing to do is to definitely RSVP a few days before, at least uh, from the time you get the invitation so that the person knows to expect you. Are you bringing a plus one? Um, you know, are there any accommodations or dietary concerns or allergies that you need to mention ahead of time just so that when that person's planning, uh, they want to take all those things into consideration before they go shopping? Um, you know, you know, setting, you know, a specific amount of guests. So you can say, oh, you know, I only have enough space for eight. I don't really have the ability to take on a plus one, but, you know, that's great. Maybe next time I, I can make sure that I can. Yeah, um, seating is always an issue with that because people forget and they, well, someone, some people can sit on the floor. Some people can sit on the steps. Exactly. And then, you know, on the day of the party, you know, you want to arrive on time. So um, usually that last 15 minutes before the start time is when people are kind of hustling and putting all the last minute things out. So you want to give the host that amount of time just to kind of get ready. So maybe, you know, showing up five, 10 minutes after the, the invitation says, just to give that person enough time to have everything in place for, for guests. Mm -hmm. 
okay, um, I'm intolerant. So what is my cues to say, like, get out of here, will you? Yeah, so you can start lowering the music about uh, half an hour before and then completely turn it off. So people are like, oh, okay, I've kind of got things going here. Maybe stop serving drinks, uh, you know, about the half hour mark so that people kind of get the hint that things are wrapping up. Any other tips on hosting, you know, being because some people, they're shyer, they may not be the best host. They're kind of thrown into it. They know they've got to mm-hmm. do something. How, how do we deal with that? And, and is the first step, try not to put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. And then, you know what, prep, prep is a big part of it. So, you know, if you have trouble in social situations, maybe have, you know, come up with a list of topics of, you know, small talk you can do. Um, you know, always make sure you check on your guests to make sure that everybody's doing okay. And, you know, you can go around asking people if they need a new, if they need a drink or if there's a snack or something that you can help them with. Um, you know, it's helpful maybe to mingle with people who are new to this social setting. So maybe it's the first time you're having these particular um, friends with um, another group of friends. So maybe helping them feel comfortable with one another and, and doing the introductions just so everyone knows who's in the room and uh, just gives people a sense of, um, you know, what, you know, the social options are. What's a natural way to make sure we get each other's names? Because I've been to so many functions when, hey, nice, Kelly, come on in. So everybody's sitting there knows, okay, this big guy's Kelly, all right. But I have no idea of all the people there. Just, hey, welcome, you know, sit down. There are some people who are so uncomfortable with this is Mm -hmm. so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Maybe they feel it's corny or weird. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes it's, ha- it's helpful to kind of go around the room and say, hey, it's so-and-so, I, I, I'm uh, I'm a superhero today, and I've, I've brought, um, I don't know, nachos to share. You know, just something like a little icebreaker so that everybody feels a little bit more at ease with dealing with the situation, and then it's not so much of a high pressure where you're trying to remember everybody's names, but at least if you can get a, a good sense of who's in the room at least, um, that's a good place to start. And then, you know, when you mingle other people, say, hey, it's Kelly, how's it going? And then um, hopefully they'll reciprocate and say, oh, hi, it's Leanne. I'm, nice to see you, Kelly. Um, I'm glad that we get to hang out again or right. nice to meet you for the first time. Just it's little hard. things like that. It- so- yeah, because it's so hard because I think everybody always just feels silly. Hey, it's Kelly here. Or, hi, guys, it's Kelly. You know, I mean, there are those things that I know as a blind person I really appreciate, especially as I get older where I used to say, oh, God, now I feel like, gosh, do I know that? I know I know that voice or that voice since they're a new person mm-hmm. to me. I think that belonged to so-and-so. And, you know, yeah. no, no, Kelly, that that's, that's you know, Fred's voice or whatever. Okay, so yeah. keep those things in mind. Anything else on that? Yeah. Yep. And then, um, you know, you want to be welcoming, you want to be gracious, uh, flexible and attentive with your guests. So you you can kind of get a a sense of the mood in the room if no one's talking and it's oddly quiet and it feels awkward, then, you know, there there needs to be a switch. Something needs to happen to make it um, a little bit more livened up or, you know, uh, maybe an icebreaker or maybe it's time to start the game or whatever it is you're doing to get people kind of mingling and to know that there's a change happening and that the party's getting started. Okay. Let's talk about the space itself, getting around, especially those of us who may need to consider our guests O&M considerations. Yes. Yeah. 
So consider uh, furniture placements a big one. You want to have good flow, you know, where people aren't going to hit their shins on low tables or um, on uh, hassocks or different things like that. So you want to make sure that um, people can get around safely and that yeah. uh, there aren't any loose of throw rugs or tripping hazards. Um, you know, maybe give someone a little bit of a lowdown of the of the layout when you get in. So you right. can say, yeah. Um, so from the front door. If you go straight, you're going to hit the kitchen. If you go left, you're going to be in the living room near the fireplace. And if you go right, you're going to end up uh, at the couch. So just kind of give a, a sense of what the room looks like. It's a square room. It's got four walls. It has, you know, uh, the TV wall, the couch wall, the window wall. So kind of you're kind of labeling things so that people have a sense of what the room is, is like. So they can yes. find um, find spaces that are safe. Obviously, uh, telling them where the washroom is is the big one, and uh, maybe showing them how to get there. Uh, get away the from that room. potted plant. Well, I just thought, no, um, <laughs> it's hard, Leanne, because I know everybody takes to everything so differently in the sense of what we can what we can retain. I, I know some people probably think, man, if someone was just telling me this is to your left, that's to your right, th that's a little bit too much. But I find it so invaluable, even to get a mental picture or just to pick out the thing that I need to know the most, such as, like you said, where that washroom is. Now, I get it. They get you in, may tell you that, and then spin you over to here, over to there to find a, an available mm -hmm. seat. Or, oh, no, not that one. That's so-and-so over here. Oh, and you you might get yeah. confused, but there's always your mouth to ask the questions. Right, exactly. That's why it kind of like labeling it. It's like the window wall. This is the TV wall. This is the fireplace wall. So it kind of gives you a sense of where you're at. If once you find like a specific furniture, then you kind of can get a sense of it. But, you know, one thing you could do as a host is maybe get someone to co-host with you so they can be more attentive to those details that the person looks like they're needing help. Then that person can help with guiding or, you know, getting drinks while you're trying to get, you know, the main uh, party stuff going or having to go in the kitchen and back to, to refresh uh, appetizers and snacks, um, drinks. So then that way, at least you can help someone to... Uh, to bounce things off of with and have to get help from. Okay, very good. I like that one. Uh, independent living skills. Um, so many of us, Leanne, are doing mm. this party. It might even be the first time. What is the proper order? What are some of the things that you think make it easier? Right, so maybe, you know, let's say you've planned this dinner party. You know that it's happening in a month. This would be a good time to call, you know, Vision Loss Rehab to get an independent living specialist to come in to help you sharpen your kitchen skills. So, you know, work on pouring, measuring, um, serving, um, you know, carrying a tray, you know, things like that. And then work on your your skills so you can make things look appealing. So, yes, you've made a vegetable platter, but does it look like it got hacked to death or do you want it to look pretty? <laughs> so just taking that time to kind of make things look a little nicer, even, you know, whether you can see it or not, it just you know, presentation matters and people pay attention right. to that stuff, whether you, you know, intended on or not. Um, organizational skills is another good one. So, you know, maybe ahead of time, put in accessible labels on things so that you can find it quickly. Make sure that you know exactly where the ingredients are that you're using, you know, exactly where to find them every single time so it's consistent. And then if you need, if you have that co-host, you can say, oh, it's on the top shelf on the left. And then the right. person will see the, lab the labels and they'll be like, oh yeah, got it. Okay. And when you're in that panic trying to get everything organized, that you know, people together, everything like that, that on top of it, it's just so great to have that organization that you don't have to go worrying and looking for something. 
Exactly. Now, the home management is the next big one. Obviously, you want to have a clean, presentable home, so you want to make sure that the pet hair is cleaned off the off the furniture if you have pets. Uh, you want to free the house of clutter, uh, little knickknacks, because people will inevitably knock down, you know, your glass uh, Swarovski crystal, you know, whatever you have out. Um, so if anything that's breakable, maybe put it away for the night just to keep it safe. Uh, make sure the floors are vacuumed and the bathroom scrubbed clean. The toilet, especially all levels of the toilet, because you know um, dirt gets hidden in different places. So you want to make sure that it is absolutely sanitary for the when guests come. Um, table settings, you can make sure that it's consistent around the, the entire table, so that the drink is always at twelve o'clock, the knife is always on on the right, and the fork is always on the left, and you know things just little consistency things, so that when you have to describe the place setting, the person will automatically form a mental map in their mind of where things are. Oh, okay. And, Real quickly, anything? Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, uh, time management and yes. um, obviously uh, the social aspects. So working on the social aspects to make sure that you don't feel awkward and strange. That's a awesome. pretty big one. Yeah, that is. Uh, we're going to have to cut it off there. Uh, we, of course, we're out of time. I know there's a few other points, and maybe we can throw them in uh, down the road, Leanne. That is beautiful to get us started on having our party at home. Thanks a lot for all this. Uh, take it easy. Yeah, have a great day, guys. So what's interesting is I forgot again, Rum, to mention to folks and all of you, of course, mm -hmm. no, and thank goodness to Leanne for making the reference. Uh, we pre-recorded that last week, as we do with our segments with Leanne, but I was wanting to jump right in there so quick, so I did forget. I apologize, folks. Now, I want to go back to the discussion we were having about those darn hot dogs, because do you see how JJ brought it up? We talk often about things that just keep coming back up in a show. Um... You know, I think back to how old New York is, and you think back to these things that we know as staples of New York rum, and they've been there so long. My question to JJ, how long does he recall when the subway opened? <laughs> 1898. But the point is, it's that whole street environment. What he mentioned about the parks, I didn't even think about that, even though I certainly know New York has a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I know that so many buildings are up to boom, boom, right beside each other. Wow, what an interesting description. And I know we didn't really... Let JJ do as much descript describing because we were just full of questions. Yeah, we're full of questions, and and just the concept of New York is as fascinating and as interesting as all the little details of New York, right? And which is what I think is um, kind of what I took away from today's convo, actually, because we get all these snapshots as JJ described, right? This kind of the scene of New York, the vibe of New York, the the iconic. Um, kind of way that New York is in every single aspect, but we don't often think about, you know, but historically, this is mm -hmm. what made it what it is. And yeah, as he went through all the descriptions of why buildings are the way they are, why the street life is the way it is, you kind of think, wow, yeah, it's deep. Or how it affects us so far around and how many things we do, even outside of New York, that, you know, come back to that culture thing, stuff mm -hmm. we've seen. Uh, we're going to talk something else that kind of is New York pretzels when we return folks after the break when we take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on now with dave brown we'll see what our show's doing we thank leanne barda who you can catch uh for independent living on the third monday of the month we thank her and we'll be right back we'll be back with more of kelly and ramya after this short break
time to put a bow of sorts, maybe a pretzel on this edition of Kelly and Rummy. I'll explain in a moment. Uh, folks, we'd like to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, Kelly and Rummy podcast, available from your favorite podcast platform. Check the show out in segment form or in the complete version of it. Jeff Ryman did send in his vanity card, so you can find that on the end of the full show podcast. Rum, the gang over at Now at Day Brown, compose a show every day, put it on air beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning Eastern time. What do they have tomorrow? Yep, on tomorrow's edition, Marco Flalo from Access Tech Live, which is also tomorrow, live at 2 p.m. or 12 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV. I butchered that. Anyways. From Vienna. (laughs) Exactly. Marco Flalo is uh, in Vienna. He's attending the Zero Project Conference. It's an international conference of NGOs, activists, and tech innovators advancing new approaches to disability inclusion. It is so cool out there. They've got lots to talk about, and Mark is going to tell us about the movers and shakers at the conference, as well as provide some initial impressions of how things are going. Laura Bain is telling, uh, or, or is providing the entertainment report tomorrow on the show, and Amy Amanti is reviewing the Netflix TV series called One Day. All that at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV. Boy, good show. Catch up. Also, as mentioned, they have a podcast, so you can really do some binging and catch up. Our closing moment for today, this is from Fox News. The surprising uh, length in history of the pretzel and its meaning for the season, folks. Now think about the shape of the pretzel. It's said to have been inspired by praying hands. The soft pretzel has long been an iconic snack found everywhere from movie theaters to airports, from ballparks to restaurants. But the pretzel may have its roots in Lent. The earliest depiction and description of something resembling a pretzel dates back to the 5th century, says the website for the Catholic Education Resource Center, and that document is currently held at the Vatican in the archives. The pretzel's simple ingredients of salt, yeast, flour, and water meant that it complied with the strict fasts that were commonplace in the early church, unlike the fasting rules of the modern era, which prohibit the uh, consumption of meat and fowl on Fridays. Mm. Segments of the church permitted only one full meal a day and did not eat any meat or animal products for the entirety of Lent said the Catholic Education Resource Center. Now, the oldest and most widely accepted story of the invention of early pretzels goes back to the uh, beginning of the Middle Ages in 610 A.D., says the website pretzels.com. That legend says that a monk in northern Italy invented the first pretzels calling them riola, meaning little rewards for children who were obedient and learned their prayers. (laughs) Says pretzels calm. Uh, wow. Is pretzels one of your favorites? I love pretzels, but I, I'm not a traditionalist, so I will slap anything on my pretzel. Like, now you can get so much topping. Such as? What's your favorite? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm flexible. Like, it depends on my mood. Are you a dipper? Like, or do you want more of the dry kind of things you can put I on? I like the ones where you can go and get, like, chocolate and sprinkles and all kinds of crap on your pretzels. But then <laughs> I'll do the normal as well. Oh, like, gosh. just a soft... I have a friend, Debbie. We all know her. Um, she just wants her traditional warm pretzel with that coarse salt on top, and she won't even dip. She's very serious about her pretzels. Do you count pretzels in the bag? The little version. They are pretzels, of course, but I'm going to ask the are dumb they? question because we're talking uh, are they pretzels, Rum? Do you consider them pretzels? I don't pretzels? think so. No. No. I don't why? even think I know what you're talking. Are you talking about like the yes, crunchy? Yes, you do. Your party bags that come with those little pretzels. Oh, the crunchy them. pretzel sticks? Yeah. Those aren't real pretzels. Yeah. 
Are they? <laughs> I knew it. Well, they are. They, the brand I feel like is the right pretzels. answer is, is that, no, they're not. But yeah, okay. They are. Fine. They're well, different Don't say pretzel. that stuff on national TV because people, <laughs> you know, this girl is not the People are going to get mad. Send us Here your feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, people who like the soft pretzel, Debbie, yourself, my, you know, no, of course we sit there and say, ah, it's a bag of nonsense, right? That's sort of like the kettle chips people saying, you actually pass off those stupid chips that you get yeah. from, you know, hostess as chips? Get out of here. Yeah, it's like the I, argument I about hummus. Like, if you start making hummus in whatever way you want, is it really hummus just because it says hummus on the label? Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. Is anything, whatever you just name it. Yeah, this is a great cocktail sauce. Yeah, but there's nothing yeah, in there. That's not roti. I know what roti is. It's just ketchup. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on tomorrow's show, ladies and gentlemen, Fern Lullum stops by to tell us about a wonderful new show that hit the UK back in November and launches here in, uh, on the 24th of February on TVO. Ooh. Uh, Thought Gras is returning in Dawson City, Yukon, and community reporter Kim Hovey has all the fun details. We're waving at you. Have a good night. See you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. Hey guys, it's Jeff here and just wanted to give you guys a quick update on the good old man cave because there had been something um, very special that has been passed down to me um, and it has a great story actually. Um, so yeah, finally able to put this up in the man cave just the other day. So way back in the 1960s, early 1960s to be exact, um, my Oma was working at a nice fancy restaurant in downtown Toronto. And she's a huge, huge sports fan. She's a massive Toronto Maple Leaf fan, basically doesn't miss any games. But one day at this restaurant, in walks the 1962-1963 Stanley Cup winning Toronto Maple Leaf team. So she obviously recognizes all of them, immediately goes up to them. Um, and starts asking for their autograph. But the thing is, you know, she didn't have any paper or anything, so she just grabbed a, a fancy napkin, essentially, from the table beside and got them to sign that napkin. Um, so now, uh, what she had done with that is she just kept it uh, in a safe spot for years and years and years, uh, and then eventually got it um, specially designed. She got a Maple Leafs logo on it. She got the date. And of course, there were all the autographs still there. And then she framed it. Um, so she's just had this sitting around at her apartment for, you know, literally decades. And uh, just the other week, she she gave it to me, which is extremely, extremely special because I've always known she's had it. Um, it's really a one-of-a-kind piece. You don't see anything like that. Like, sure, you get teams that have autographed something, but something with that type of story in that type of situation, uh, you know, it, it holds um, near and dear to my heart. So it was very special receiving that from her. And, uh, yeah, I finally put that up in the man cave just the other day. So it's got a nice special spot and uh, for a, you know, very nice special Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.